What's up? Hey, everybody. How's it going, Emily? Doing all right. So it's, you know, another another day, another podcast recording. That's right. Uh, yeah, I was going to say welcome, everybody, to the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast, but now also YouTube show. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Did you guys know we were on YouTube? I don't even know um, if, if you knew that or not, but we are on YouTube, so not only can you listen to the show if you're... I don't know, running on the treadmill, but you can also uh, go home and watch us, which means right. we don't have to put makeup on and fix our hair. Before right. We I know. it's a, Mine's getting a little like out of control here, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, actually, we've been getting a lot of guys listening to our podcast, and we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. We have such a special guest with us today. If you are all wondering who that third face is down there. I want everybody to give a big welcome and say hello to CEO of Divine Canines, former Navy SEAL canine handler, John Divine. How are you, buddy? What's up, John? How you doing? What's up, man? Glad to be here, virtually. I, yeah, virtually, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, and I know earlier you said, hey, if you knew this was a video, you would have fixed your hair, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> before, though, you know? That's exactly. Exactly what I mean, and you're out in Los Angeles. So beanies are a perfectly acceptable form of hair covering year round. Absolutely. If it's under 85 degrees, it's totally acceptable. You know? yeah, what's, <laughs> what's up with that, honestly? Like it could even when it's like a hundred degrees. There I remember there was a time that everyone's like wearing beanies no matter how hot it is. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. I'd be sweating. Uh and scarves too. Out here, so oh yeah, scarves. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's very West Coast. Yes. Are you from the West Coast? So I'm not. Originally, I'm from New England. Really? So you're How used to cold. Up? Yeah. So you would think that. You would think that. But uh, after you've been along for so long, you realize how much your body changes. When I go back there, I am cold. <laughs> uh, yeah, because you live in the most perfect weather year round. And that's kind of like me, like with Texas, when it drops below, I don't know, 75, like oh I God. keep a jacket and my car at all times because I'm like, Mm-mm, can't do this. <laughs> Give me a break. Okay. Come to DC. It's freezing. Emily's got snow right now, John. Wow. Yeah. The thing about that part of the country too is you never know what you're going to get. It's going to be rain, freezing rain. It's going to be snow. We've yeah. had it. We had we've had it all in the last 24 hours. But luckily, it's our it's been it's our only snowfall for this winter. Um, we've Here. kind of been DC. They call it like the snow hole. Yeah. The news, the weathermen, because like we'll get callings for like all this bad weather, but like it'll just like miss like DC. But everyone around us will just get like dumped on. And I'm and I'm okay with that because I can go about my day. I don't have to worry about it. You no, know, it's just big brother that controls the weather around, you know, DC there. It must be yeah, it must I don't be. doubt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Divine canines. I'm so excited that you wanted to come on our show and talk to us. Um, because my first experience with your adorable killer dogs um, <laughs> was that shot show. And I, I will have to put a picture up of this or something, but your dogs were walking around with the most swag of any dog I've ever seen. Did you, pl- I mean, like, is that like their thing to walk around with those goggles? I mean, is that like a fashion statement or is that a function thing? So mostly fashion statement. With a little- I love it. <laughs> Perfect. I need one. 
you know, because really SHOT Show, it's, it's in Las Vegas. You know, it's really an industry convention. You know, everyone's there showing stuff off and whatnot. And uh, a lot of the people that are there aren't really from the canine world. You know, so it's a chance for me to expose people to just new things that dogs can do and that uh, some of the products that are out there for dogs. And so wearing those rec specs around, it's really an opportunity to see uh, people's reactions to them and then also be able to educate them on what they really do and the things that we actually do use them for, you know what? And some people would even ask, like, how to get your dog is used to using those? And it gives me opportunities to teach people uh, just new things about dogs. Yeah, I can't even put a tutu on my dog. Like, I put, like, a sweater or something on them, and they're running and hiding in the closet. Like, they want no part of that. So the fact that you could get your dogs to, like, walk around with these awesome goggles was just so cool. What is the main purpose of the goggles? So The main purpose of the goggles is is protection, just like we wear eyewear for anything. And uh, we have some of the shaded ones that are for, you know, sun protection, but they're also ballistic. So if you do anything, you know, tactical with your dogs, do any kind of shooting, or even just outdoor stuff, like um, when a dog runs through the woods, you know, the first thing that goes first is their face. Right. So if they're running through pricker bushes or anything like that, they could damage their eyes. And, uh, and it's very common in bite work, especially when you're doing it in, in the woods and stuff, they can damage their eyes. Wow. So we have that on there for protection. I mean, these dogs, not only do they mean a lot to us, you know, emotionally, but they're also an investment, you know, financially too. We put a lot of time and money into each one of our dogs that we just want to protect them and treat them, treat them right. Yeah. Okay. So there's so much we want to ask you about the dogs and about training. But before we jump into that, I, I want to I want to go back to the beginning because I think that this is the first time a lot of our listeners have heard of you and have heard of your dogs. Um, we just share your story with us a little bit and tell us your background and how you even got into handling dogs. Okay. You know what? It's, uh, it's interesting because, you know, when I was a little kid, I never really even knew that being a dog person was a career. I didn't think that that was even a thing. I knew about Navy SEALs, you know, at least I thought I did at the time. So I grew up, a little kid in New England, you know, watching uh, Charlie Sheen looking cool as a Navy SEAL. And I'm like, wow, that looks badass. So <laughs> then I started reading books and then book after book after book. And I made it like my really, my life ambition to become a SEAL. So awesome. I pursued that, uh, became a SEAL. And it wasn't really till I was starting to become a SEAL that I, I even found out about the canine program that we even had one. It was at the time, actually, it was top secret. We weren't even allowed to talk about it because it wasn't common knowledge that the SEAL teams even used dogs yet. Wow. So uh, awesome. I found out about it and I saw what a difference these dogs were making in our training and in my uh, first deployments and things like that. I saw these dogs operating and finding IDs and saving guys' lives. And, you know, guys' lives were being saved and they didn't even know it in the sense that that we we would like divert from going over IEDs multiple times just in one mission that uh you know you can't even count up the amount of times your life was saved in, in one night it just you know happens every almost every time I saw what a difference he's made and especially at the, at the time IEDs were really our biggest threat and they still kind of continue to be you know I was having friends that weren't coming home and friends that were coming home you know missing legs and I, I just thought about like what's the one thing that I could do to help that and, uh, and the dog teams was just, you know, at the forefront of all of it. So I just thought that if I went to the dog teams, that I could make the biggest difference on, uh, on all my buddies' lives. So um, I did that. Uh, I, at least I volunteered for it first. And I got denied because at the time, the dog teams were so small, they didn't have any openings. And uh, <laughs> we were getting ready to do the deployment. I was supposed to be, you know, a fire team leader at my SEAL platoon. So I got denied. And then, uh, but I, I was patient and I was persistent. I let people know that I was interested in doing it and then I wanted to do it. 
And, uh, and sure enough, like a directive came out. Um, the military is always behind on everything, meaning that, you know, after dogs have been saving lives for years and years now, uh, they finally decided they wanted to make the dog team bigger. So they needed more applicants to, to go into it. Wow. So my name was at the top of the list because I was like, you know, pretty persistent. I wanted to do it. <laughs> so my boss came to me and he was like, John, um, what do you think about going to the dog teams? And I was like, I think, yeah. He's like, uh, I asked him, how long do I have to decide about doing this? And he's like, about five minutes because <laughs> you have to have um, a certain amount of guys by literally the end of the day. And so I kind of just took a leap of faith and I just was like, let's do it. You know, let's do it. And uh, the next day, I was catching dogs. Uh, I had to catch every single dog in the kennel, which catching dogs sounds kind of fun. Sounds like a fun little game you play, but in our world, catching dogs means getting bit by a dog. Oh, so kind of like your, yeah. your first day on the job as a dog handler is you have to get bit by every single dog in the kennel. And uh, from my experience, guys usually have one of two reactions. They're either is like- that your initiation? <laughs> <laughs> but guys usually have two different reactions. It's either like, okay, this isn't really for me, or this is freaking awesome. Really? Are they like, yeah, like, leg- like legitimately, awesome. they're yeah. legitimately biting you? So yes, you are wearing a bite suit. Okay. Protective layer, so it's supposed to keep it from puncturing you and whatnot, but it doesn't really protect you from the crushing force that you're going to feel. Wow. And your bones start, you start to feel your bones bend is when you're like, oh. you start to like respect the amount of force that these dogs have and the amount of power that they have behind that bite. You know, it's pretty amazing. And is it a certain type of dog that goes into these programs? Yes. So breed-wise, uh, for the SEAL teams, we generally have Malinois, uh, Dutch Shepherds, a little bit of German Shepherds, or maybe a combination or a mix of, of the three. Uh, so it's mostly those just because they have the inherent traits that are more common for those breeds uh, to be able to do the work that we're putting them through. But, uh, but even those breeds just those breeds alone are not enough to really become a seal dog. We, when we go and buy trips to go select dogs, we're really, we're looking at, you know, the best, the best dogs in the world. And even of those, we look at like a hundred dogs, maybe only a couple, if that will even fit our criteria to then take the States to then put through our program to then maybe have a 50, 50 chance of even making it through our program. Wow. And are you taking these dogs as puppies? So in a sense, yes, kind of depends on where you, and that line of a puppy versus adult, but typically it's a young full-grown dog. So they're, they're probably close to full-grown to, from a year to two years old, sometimes three years old, uh, depending on the dog. But so they're young full-grown dogs. And the analogy I like to use is when I'm looking for uh, NFL level talent, I'm not going to look at like elementary school kids, you know, I'm going to look at <laughs> high school, college age type, yeah. you know, dogs, because then you, you really know what you're getting into at that point. Yeah. So, okay. So this training that you're taking them through and I mean, obviously you had to learn how to train them, right? I mean, when you got out of being, when you, when you were no longer a seal and you started divine canines, was it, did you take that same training and start putting it, I mean, with these dogs that you're training now, did you change up the training at all? So a little bit. So there is a little bit of differences because the different dogs for different jobs. You know, mm-hmm. so the kind of dog that we want to have uh, in a SEAL platoon might not be the exact same dog we want to have in a family. You know, so there are, there are some differences, but I did take a lot of the training that I used in that I really, I mean, I was exposed to some of the best trainers in the world and, uh, and just really took what they, what they gave me. And, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, when I get out, it's funny, but uh, when I get out, I had the hardest time with, with like the little, you know, dogs that had like no motivation. 
So I had to almost learn new and different ways to train dogs to be able to train all dogs rather than just like, you know, the most elite badass dogs on the planet. Right. What do you do with a dog that's afraid to, you know, walk on slick floors? Like in the SEAL teams, that didn't exist because we only took the most confident dogs possible. Yeah. So I had to train the opposite kind of dogs as well, you know. Um, but I use some of the same exact methods that I use for selecting dogs because one of the most important things for um, for selecting the right dogs for training is to be able to have a good criteria and good tests to be able to put your dogs through to really vet them and if they're going to be the, the perfect one to train. Yeah. What, I mean, did you, when you were training these dogs, um, do, does one story stick out to you more than others of, of an experience that you had with one of your dogs? You know, I mean, we have a, a ton of experiences, but I mean, really, it's really the amount of time that we put into our dogs. Uh, so to give you just an example, so there's a lot of great law enforcement dogs out there, a lot of good dog teams, a lot of good um, teams that put the work into it. But the benefit that we had is that our job was training. So law enforcement dogs, their job is they have a job and they train outside of that. So they have to find time to train where as a SEAL dog and a SEAL dog handler, we train you know, eight to 12 hours a day, every day. That is our job. <laughs> training all day long. So then by the time we actually get to deploy, you know, I can almost read his thoughts. Like I'll be on, I can be on night vision, pitch black, and I can just see his silhouette, but I can tell by his mannerisms what he's thinking. So I can tell, uh, you know, if we went to a target and I laid him down by a door, I wouldn't even have to enter the building. I could tell by his mannerisms if there's an IED in that building, you know, what? You That's get impressive. That from being able to one, have your dog at a high level, but two, be working together so much that you can read those little mannerisms because every yeah. dog, some dogs have commonalities, mm -hmm. but every dog has slight intricacies that are different that you only get to know from just time and experience and training. Did you get to take, I mean, did you have a, a dog that you got to take with you when you left? So my dog right now is currently still serving and I don't want to quote this because I've never even taken the time to really research this, but I believe he may be the most deployed dog in the history of Naval Special Warfare. No way. Wow. He's been probably one of the most, you know, used dogs in the history of the SEAL teams. Yeah. That awesome. is so, and that's one that you trained, right? Yeah, I was his first so handler. Cool. And, uh, the, and the hope is, is when he, when he's all done that I get to take him. So. So while your dog's over there, does he have a separate handler that is sort of working with him also yeah. while he's over there? Yeah. So after I left, he went to another handler and he's been through a series of different handlers now. So he might be on his fourth or fifth handler by now. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Man. And they, and they acclimate to each handler. Okay. Or is there like a, a little bit of a transition period? Uh, they do, but every dog is different, you know, but the thing I did with him that I spent a lot of time doing is while I was overseas in Afghanistan, I really uh, took to heart, like what if anything ever happened to me? So I wanted to make sure that if anything happened to me, that he could be controlled by other people in my platoon. So I started having other people in my platoon start working with him a little bit, giving him some directions, that kind of stuff. And it even worked uh, to our advantage in that, if I sent him into a house, he would take directions from other SEALs. So they could send him down a hallway, give him little hand signals, and it also built in the confidence that, you know, the SEAL team uh, was confident working around him, and they were confident that he would listen to them too. So it, it was really a two-way street. Dog trusted all the other operators, and all the other operators trusted him too. Uh, so that really, I think, played a good role. Uh, you know, really, it was really good in the sense of making a good transition to another handler. He was already used to taking directions mm -hmm. from other people. You know. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, and were they going on every mission with you or were they, were there just certain ones that needed to have a, a dog there? 
So any mission that really has any kind of IED threat, you're going to want to take a dog with you. Okay. In areas like Afghanistan, that's just about every every operation is going to be an IED threat. Uh, some different areas are you know a higher IED threat than others, but there's constantly a fear and a, and a respect of the fact that there's going to be IEDs all over that country. Yeah. Man, you mentioned earlier about training for the seals and for families. So do you train a lot of dogs for families? Yes. So one of the primary things that we do now is we do personal protection dogs for families. So with that, you have to have a dog that is so well balanced in the sense they have to be able to respond to a threat and neutralize it, but also be able to snuggle with their kids and be able to take direction from the children. You know? And would those, the, would those dogs also be the same type that you would use for the seals or could you almost do this with like any breed? So yes and no in the sense of some, some dogs. Uh, so my dog at the time, he was very, very social and he probably would have been capable of being a personal protection dog, but not everyone is. Cause if, if all we ever did was just accept ones that were like good enough for family, <laughs> we probably have like three seal dogs ever in the history of time, you know? Right. Uh, so the priority of, of what is important to us uh, on a seal team is different than what is important, you know, to a family. And that's the SEAL teams, we need to have a dog that is, you know, jumping out of helicopters, jumping out of airplanes, good with gunfire, uh, can work with operators, uh, has a fight drive. You know, the list can go on and on. But some of those things aren't so important for a family. Like the family might not be jumping out of helicopters. <laughs> right. Firefights, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. So, so yes, like even our personal protection dog, we expose them to gunfire. But the, the amount of gunfire we have to expose them to is not the same in the sense that we're not expecting these dogs to go into firefights. You know, we're yeah. expecting dogs that if there was, you know, ever gunfire exchange, they'd be able to respond and, uh, and be well with it. But we're not expecting them to, like, storm the beaches at, you know, Omaha Beach or anything like that, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk a lot on this show in particular about um, situational awareness. And, I mean, obviously – we talk a lot about firearms and personal protection and uh, tools to use both lethal and non-lethal. And I just think the element of having a dog with you, I mean, do you get asked a lot, what kind of advice or information could you give to our audience about the importance of having, I mean, is it important to have any kind of dog with you or do you have to have this specific kind of, of trained dog for it to be even worth your time to have an animal? If you're looking at a personal protection tool, I mean, let us, let us know, give us your thoughts. All right, so I get a lot of people who are like, I'm thinking about getting a personal protection dog, and I kind of tell people, if you're thinking about getting a personal protection dog, don't get one. <laughs> no, 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 really, but if you know you want one, now we, now we, now maybe you should. Okay. If, first of all, you shouldn't be getting a personal protection dog if you're not inherently a dog person already. You know, so right. like I don't even know if I like dogs, but I really want a personal protection dog. It's like no, you know, it's like saying I was thinking about getting like a, a like a 50 cal machine gun. But I'm not really a gun person, like you know, <laughs> kind of same thing, you know. Um, but so I always tell people that not everyone needs to have a personal protection dog, just like not everyone needs to have, you know, uh, an SKS under their bed if that's not what they want. If they choose to have, you know, just a revolver as their home defense weapon or a shotgun, that's awesome. And whatever you train with is what you're be more most proficient with. Mm -hmm. So whatever your choice is is your choice. Same thing in dogs. Like you don't need to have a personal protection dog. They are awesome and they're an awesome capability. Um, but the most important thing a dog provides is it's an early warning system, meaning that you can have a dog, whether it be a five pound terrier or, you know, a hundred pound Dutch shepherd, both of them can provide an early warning system, meaning mm -hmm. that if someone's doing something outside your house or trying to sneak in, in the worst case scenario, 
then it can at least alert you. It's like, it's like an alarm system that can't be disabled. You know, the power goes mm-hmm. out, the dog still works. You know, if someone clips a wire to your alarm system, your dog still works. And that can give you uh, an early warning system to get to your next layer of defense, you know. So that is one so, of the things that, that a dog can provide. So then if a family decided that they were going forward and wanted to get a personal protect, protection dog and they got, what happens then? I mean, they, they still need to get, once they're trained by you, they just can't stop and just like now this dog just lives in their house and there's no additional training. What Absolutely. happens? What do they have? What is the responsibility of the family to continue to make sure that this dog still is functioning at, at that high level? Absolutely. So I recommend that every family that gets a personal protection dog, they should do sustainment training. And then also, you know, I never tell people that you should be training just to stay the same. Like do you work out to stay the same, you know, right. do you go to the ring? <laughs> I don't want, I don't want my groupings to get any tighter. I, I just want them not to, not to get worse. You know, <laughs> you always strive to, to get better and, and, you know, and increase your capabilities. So uh, I recommend that they do so. As a matter of fact, when I sell personal protection dogs, I make sure that they come with a year of sustainment training as part of the package that I sell because I don't want to have any option. Like you are going to train with me. You know, we are going to train at least for that first year. So you know what's, what's going on. And every client that I've had is actually um, opted to continue sustainment training afterwards. because they, they saw how valuable it is, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. So I want a personal protection dog. I am a dog person. Um, right, this podcast then. No. <laughs> I mean, what, what's my next step? And do I have to pick out the dog? I mean, and take him to you. Do you pick the dog? I mean, like, how does that work? So a lot of people want to go the whole get a puppy and then like raise it and then bring it to somebody to train because they love it. But I, I promise you the best way to get a personal protection dog is to get one that's already has some kind of foundational training in it, meaning that we can go to Holland. So the way I do it is I go to Holland. I look at all the best dogs in all of Europe. So all the best dogs in all of Europe, I get to look at them. And then I get to screen them for what is going to be perfect for that family. Wow. Also, what is perfect for one family might not be perfect for the other family. So I, I make sure it's very, very, very uh, specific on what they want. And then we take the dog, we import it from overseas, and then we train it up to the capabilities that the client wants. And then on top of that, we don't just drop it off the doorstep with an instruction manual. <laughs> You make sure to give them a week of uh, integration training to really make that turnover of the dog very successful in the sense we send a trainer to go live with them and really teach them how to not just, because it's not just a dog that, you know, is going to be your personal protection dog. This is a part of your family. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to learn how to have, you know, cohesive harmony in the house, you know, because hopefully a hundred percent of the time this dog just has to operate as a dog. But in the event of anything bad, you know, it will operate as a, as a protection layer. But, uh, but most of the time it's going to be used as, as your, as your family member. I want one. I want <laughs> after I, I really, I really want Zeus. Um, he really is, want everyone wants Zeus. I know, but I, I would like to be first in line to, to get Zeus if, um, you know, you're ever looking to get rid of him at all. He's just the coolest Do- dog ever. Pushing my will as the, uh, beneficiary. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yes. What about, um, personal protection cats? <laughs> I'm not ready for a dog just yet. I got a cat. This is not divine feline. It could work. I mean, <laughs> I would like to see what you, I bet if anyone could train a cat, it would be, it'd be John. Yeah. So you this doesn't sound like a very inexpensive um, <laughs> no. 
process here? I mean, what, what are we looking to, to shell out if this is something that we want to do? Okay. So my small, my lowest package starts about $25,000. And, and does that include the cost of the dog? Yes. Okay. It the cost of the dog, but they, they keep going up when you start increasing the capabilities. And right. really what that represents is time. It does take so much time to train these dogs. And, right. you know, people that are involved in like the horse world and things like that, they sometimes understand it a little bit better because you can go to a horse auction and buy a horse for a dollar, you know. But when you have like a fully trained, like, you know, race horse that's had hours and kind of hours of training. Right. Like, now this horse isn't worth a dollar anymore. This horse is worth like a hundred grand or a million dollars if it's won races and things like that. So really it's the amount of time and training that goes into these dogs that make them so valuable. But also just uh, when I select them, I'm selecting them not for their training, but really their genetic makeup and that uh, they've been health screened and certified. All their hips are certified by orthopedic veterinarians, things like mm-hmm. that, because we, we don't want to put hundreds of hours of training into a dog that might have arthritis in like five years. Yeah. You know? So we make sure that we are only selecting, you know, the healthiest and best physically and mentally that are going to be suitable for training. Yeah. I mean, is there a warranty program too? With yeah. <laughs> I, I do. You know, all my dogs do come with a year uh, health guarantee, you know? Wow. Yeah. The, your, the screening process when you're in Holland, what is, like, how long is that for you to like decide like this dog is going to move forward to the next step? Usually a few days. Because oh, Okay. I like to see them, uh, first I look at them in their environment and I'll go to like, you know, the, the kennel or the vendor that, you know, has them and I'll, uh, I'll look at all they have. So I might, he might have like, he might have like 200 dogs there and he'll be like, oh. of my 200 dogs, I have these 20 that I've selected that are, that I think is exactly what you want. They're my best I have. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's take these 20 and I'll look at these 20 and sometimes I'll look at 20 and I'll be like, all right, I want to take these, you know, seven or eight out to actually individually test. Because uh, there's some little things I'll do just to see right off the bat if I even like or not. And then I start going down the list and then I'll take them out and I'll, I'll see which ones I like. And I'll be like, all right, I didn't like something in this dog, didn't like something in this dog, really like this one, this one, and this one. I'm like, all right, I'm going to come back tomorrow with these four. And I want to take these and run them through some environmental testing uh, in an unknown area that these dogs have never seen before. So then I start running them through because sometimes you have dogs, they look really good where they're at in the place they've been every day. But we want a dog that that is good everywhere. And, uh, and there's certain things that I do look for, but just to make a long story short, if a dog is afraid of something, that's not an automatic disqualifier for me. It's if they can get over that fear very quickly. Meaning that all of a sudden, if I take them out into like a town and all of a sudden they see like an escalator door, like for the first time ever, or like, you know, just something new, they see that sometimes like, they get a little freaked out by that, but it doesn't, make me fail them if they get over it very quickly. If they're like, okay, that was weird. Okay. But doesn't seem to be a problem. And now I'm getting through it. And now it's nothing. If it happens like that, I'm like, that's a good dog because that's going to be a dog that in training can get over things very quickly. Yeah. You know, interesting. I mean, are you as good at uh, reading people as you are reading dogs? You know, uh, people and dogs are very similar in the sense we're both animals. We both have psychology and a lot of it is connected. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am pretty good at reading people. Uh, the difference is, is that dogs don't really have a language that is like ours. So we can, you know, talk, but there's little things that humans do it, the same with dogs. So we have little intricacies, mostly mm-hmm. body language that we'll do to give away to kind of show our hand a little bit, you know? Yeah. That's so cool. Sorry. And what were you going to say? Uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> no, I was gonna, you know, I think I was going to say, like, it sounds like, you know, 
having a personal protection dog is, you know, it's very similar to when you decide that you're going to, you know, own a firearm. It's commitment, it's Mm -hmm. training, financial obligation. It's not something that you just get and all of a sudden, like, just because you have it there, you think you're good to go. Yes. Like you need to be, you need to, not only are you responsible going on, you need to be responsible for this dog that's going to potentially be there to Mm -hmm. alert you if there, there's a threat or something going on. Yep. And one of the big things I really implore to people is that, you know, a firearm is one of those things you, you definitely want to train with, but if you put it up, you know, and put it away for a week and don't touch it, you know, it's not going to disintegrate, you know, the dog, you can't just like put it away and ignore it and then expect it to perform whenever you need yeah. it. Interesting. So even, even more important is that you still have to have a good relationship with your dog on top of everything else, you know? Um, but it's also, it's a capability that you can really take with you, you know, anywhere really. I mean, there might be situations where you might go somewhere and it might not be acceptable to have a firearm on you, but it might be acceptable to have a dog on you mm-hmm. and vice versa. So, you know, it's just, it's another layer of defense. I never look at any one thing as the end all be all for everything. Yeah. So it's never the solution for everything, but the more layers of defense and the more layers of capabilities you have, the more tools you have at your disposal to be able to use given any situation. So what does a typical day of training look like for you? All right. So really, you know, um, I, I should do like a vlog on this someday, but, uh, you, know, you, you should. Yes. <laughs> so usually it's, it's wake up and then potty, potty dogs, you know, cause dogs have to go outside, you know, they've been waiting just as long as I have. So we get dogs out, run all the dogs all, all, um, all out, give them a little, you know, walk about, let them do their business. I put them back up and then I go get my workout on When I get my workout on. I usually have a dog incorporated with me. You know, if you guys haven't seen it yet, feel free to check out Mutt Fit. So I actually started this workout program that you can do with your dog. I saw that you, you do a lot on your Instagram stories and you like are showing, I, I, I skimmed through the other day. I was like, what is John working out like with his dog? That's, That's really awesome. Cool. <laughs> I want to be able to provide something that people have no excuse. You know, they use their dogs as an excuse for why they're not getting fit. They're like, oh, I yes. had to like walk the dog. I couldn't work out because walking is good, but it might not. I don't really consider walking like a workout. I consider it something good. It's an activity. And I think it's even almost like meditative that you can like clear your mind when you go for a walk and that kind of yeah. stuff. But I really feel like you should really strive to get a good workout in. There's no excuse. There's, you can do stuff with your dog and you both can get a workout in, you know? Yeah. So I make sure to push myself in the morning and push my dogs. And I kind of, I choose a different victim every day, different dogs do the workout with me a different day, whether we're uh, could be, you know, doing runs, doing sprints, uh, doing dog squats, you know, all, all sorts of different, you know, fun stuff. We'll do sled drags, we'll work out together every day. And it also in- increases the bond that you have with your dog. Yeah. So, how many, how many dogs do you have that you're, I guess, training at a time? So right now on the property, we have, we're looking at a little bit, we got 12 dogs right now. So oh. we've got 12. So we don't, we don't have like a huge, huge giant kennel full of dogs, which um, I actually like in the sense that there are some companies that do personal protection dogs and they'll have like, you know, hundred dogs and they'll be like, this is the perfect dog for you. You don't like this one? Okay. This is the perfect dog for you. <laughs> no, no. You don't like this one either? Okay. This is the perfect dog for you. <laughs> but I would rather just go get them and build them the perfect dog for them from, from the ground up. That's awesome. Are each of those 12 already spoken for? Yes. So yeah, we, uh, we, like I said, we don't just like have a stock of dogs. We just train, gotcha. um, we, every single dog we have imported is for a purpose. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. So you do your, you do your workout yeah. with the dog. Um, and after that, I usually crush some food and then, uh, and then after that we get to dog training. So then after that it's, it's uh, dog centric, 
uh, dog sessions, and we'll have our plan of the day for every, so every dog has their individual uh, individualistic uh, training program that we'll be doing, and, uh, and we'll be you know hitting it, attacking it, then lunch, and then more training, and sometimes the training is on site here. Uh, and also a lot of times the training is in other places, other locations, you know, so we're constantly traveling all over just doing training, you know. Wow. I mean, yeah. Cause are you taking any of them to the gun range? I mean, or, and okay. So I do. So I, uh, and that's another thing, you know, when I go shooting, I'm always taking a dog with me. Yeah. So it's an opportunity for me to get another dog to get some exposure to gunfire. How often are you yourself getting to go out and do your own training. I mean, stuff like that, like get gun practice in and get your reps in and all that. You know, I always feel like it's not enough, but I always tell myself at the end of the day, so I don't feel like a big you know, tub of lard is that something is better than nothing. You know, so we're trying to get there, you know, at least once a week to get some trigger time in. Um, because if you're a high level shooter, you know, and you don't, if you're like at the tip of the spear of being a high level shooter, if you're away from, from shooting for a day, they feel it just like an Olympic, just like an Olympic athlete wow. when they're swimming. If you talk to Michael Phelps, if he stays out of the pool for one day, they can actually measure that in microseconds of his swim times go down. Wow. You know? That's so crazy. I'm not telling, I'm not saying that everybody that hasn't shot today needs to feel like a big, <laughs> like, you know, but you know, more, more is always better, you know, but we all have, you know, realistic lives that, you know, we have to do that. If you don't have time to shoot every day, you just find the time and make it happen. But the most important thing is to get good reps whenever you can get mm-hmm. good reps with everything you do. And uh, consider everything as a rep, you know, whether you're dry firing in your bedroom, that's a rep, make sure it's a good rep, good, clean rep, and you're getting good practice. Or if it's on the range, everything is a good, everything should be a good rep. And I use yeah. that with, uh, with dog training as well. Sometimes people are like, oh no, I'm at home. You know, I don't, he, he doesn't have to like, listen to me, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, no, no, no. If you're giving your dog a command, you have to make sure that it's a good rep every single time. You know, whether you're at home, whether you're on the gun range or in the training field, you're just hanging out, you know, anytime you're with your dog, get good reps. Yeah. So do you have one dog that you keep with you all the time, like for your own personal protection dog? You know, so I have Gene and, and Zeus really, uh, as really like my demo dogs that I kind of, I go around with, um, and they get along great, you know, but, uh, they're the two that I would kind of say are mine, but, uh, but I, I'm generally taking, you know, whatever dog kind of needs the most work. So, you know, sometimes Gene and Zeus, because they're at such a high level already, they sometimes get put to the side a little bit because I have to bring these other young, young pups up, you know? So. Yeah. Did, did they help at all in training the younger dogs? In a sense? Yes. Yeah. So dogs don't really learn by just like watching other dogs, but dogs can learn from energy. So meaning that if I'm trying to bring out a dog's fight drive, I can, uh, you know, back tie some of the older dogs that really know what's going on. They're like, Oh, I love this game. They start barking and firing up and that sometimes yeah. will fire up the other dogs, you know, get them fired up to, to do the bite work. That's crazy. Emily, did you get to watch them do the dog demos at SHOT Show? I did not. I saw them on um, Instagram, but I did not. I wasn't there live. I mean, they were awesome. It was, you guys, was this the, this wasn't the first year you've done that though, right? We've been doing them for probably a couple of years now. I think that was our, uh, that was our third SHOT Show we've done. Yeah. Okay. How have I missed? I missed them the last couple of years. This was my first one to get to see, and I was so impressed with them. I mean, it yeah. was just such a cool thing to see these animals like in action and, but then also be so loving and just come sit in your lap, like right afterwards. <laughs> I mean, they were, yeah, they, they were awesome. So, yeah, well, I, mean, I do. I, that's the part that I really like to, you know, emphasize is that, you know, if you have a, 
a dog that bites, that's that's cool. But if it can't be social and environmentally sound, you, you don't have a personal protection dog. It, it can't personally protect you if you can't take it with you. Yeah. I mean, that's just like a guard dog you can chain up in your front yard, you know? And yes, it might keep people away, but that's not coming inside with you and your family. You no. <laughs> I, really think, I really stress that the environmentals and the, uh, the social abilities of them is, are just as important as the bite work, if not more. So. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I want one. I, I <laughs> one too. day. Yes. Right. <laughs> I think that dog and then a personal protective cat. There we go. Yeah. Mine, mine, my personal protection cat is like going nuts right now because he yeah. needs food. So I'm uh, sorry if you hear him meowing. I was just looking at my two <laughs> non-personal protection dogs. I have an Italian greyhound and a miniature pincher and they're basically worthless right now just sleeping yeah. on my beanbag chair in my office. And <laughs> if your office door was locked and someone started rattling the handle, will they, will they bark? Oh yeah, they bark at everything. I mean, they bark at everything. So they're, they are a good first line of defense. There but beyond yeah. that... No, I mean, they'll go snuggle up with whoever breaks into my house. Like, <laughs> line of defense, but it's, there's a line there. <laughs> that's true. This is this yeah. is very true. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on. So, if anyone's interested, um, let everybody know where they can follow you on Instagram, Facebook, how they can get in contact with you, what your website is, okay. all that information. Sure can. So, if you want to contact me directly, my email is john at divinecanines.com. You can find me on Instagram at Divine Canines. You can find me on Facebook at Divine Canines. Pretty much everything at Divine Canines. But <laughs> if you get curious about like dog workouts at my fit, then if you just want to stalk me, I am uh, Divine Canine John on Instagram as well. <laughs> I'm going to stalk all accounts. Okay, yeah, for what sure. was it? it was, it's Mutt what? Mutt fit. Mutt fit. Okay, sorry, it cut out there right for a second. So, well, this was so much fun. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more information. I bet you're going to get a lot of questions um, just from the information that you mm -hmm. provided and shared with us today. And I know that everyone is going to absolutely love this episode because it is always fun to bring in just something else. Maybe we talk about non-lethal options and lethal options mm -hmm. all the time, but we've never brought in animals before. And to know that, um, A, they've been such a big part of serving our country and being a part of, of all that is just really, really cool. And thank you so much for your service as well. So yeah, thank, and, you. thank you. Yeah. And for coming on this show, but everybody, um, we are going to be back again next Wednesday. If you have not done so already, uh, please subscribe on iTunes to the podcast, rate, give us a review, let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. You won't hurt our feelings. Um, we would love to get any kind of feedback that we can. And if you would just give us a follow on all of our social media platforms, you've got at Style Me Tactical on Instagram and Facebook, at Alexa Athletica, woo, and at the Amy Robbins if you want to stalk my personal page. So um, have a wonderful week, everybody, and we will see you next week. And don't forget to send us questions or comments as well on anything that you'd like to hear on the show. We'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast and its related companies, Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.